Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, music, faith, and community. gospel in all of its facets. Who is Jesus and what good news does he bring to us? How does he change the world? We've learned a lot over the last few weeks. In the first week, we discovered that Jesus brings good news to the poor and restores economic security to those in need. We learned about gospeling with Bryson and the gospel as a verb. Jesus gospeled throughout the land, healing and teaching, loving others. The good news sets the captives free. We've been following Isaiah 61 as kind of our roadmap towards this vision of God, this good news, our journey to salvation, if you will. And we've also held that Isaiah 61 text parallel to Luke 4, when Jesus finds himself in his hometown synagogue reading from the scrolls of Isaiah, and he reads this ancient prophecy not as a third party or as um, an objective reader, but as a first person embodiment of this good news. He is the Messiah. He is the one they've been waiting for. And as he tells his hometown synagogue, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Last week we sat with this this good news of the year of the Lord's favor. An old phrase that's really this subversive vision for a world that starts to look the way that God intended for it to look. Rest from the land. Rest from labor, justice and hospitality for our neighbors, and debts forgiven. That's good news, right? So this week we set our eyes to verse 3 of Isaiah 61. And so you can turn there now with me if you're already there, or you can just listen. The words of Isaiah say that God will provide for those who mourn to give them a garland instead of ashes. It seems fitting that we would hear these words just a little more than a week before Ash Wednesday, when we will mark our heads with ashes and boldly remember how fragile and mortal we are. From dust we came and to dust we shall return. But Isaiah says that there's something that happens in between the beginning and the end. From dust we come and to dust we return, but it turns out that God does something with those ashes in between. The fragile parts of our lives, the messiness, the wounds, the grief, it's actually a place where God dwells and brings transformation. So today's good news, friends, is that God provides for those in mourning. 
God is near to the brokenhearted. In fact, the word Isaiah says that God binds up the brokenhearted, which is such a beautiful image if you imagine our creator binding up our broken hearts. But our culture is not very good at being near to the brokenhearted. In fact, maybe when someone is brokenhearted, that's when we feel the most awkward around them, the most uncomfortable. There was a survey published on grief on WebMD, and it found that more than half of the participants who had experienced a major loss found that people's sympathies seemed to have an expiration date. They felt pressure to get over a loss, right? So 58% of the people who were pressured said they felt expected to recover from this significant loss within the first three months. A whopping 81% of those mourning a pet and 75% of those who'd lost a friendship or a breakup also said they felt like they had three months to get over it. And even those who were mourning the life of a close relative or friend, most, 91%, felt expected to move on within a year. You have about a year and then your broken heart is becoming inconvenient for our happy, jolly society. My roommate seems to believe that as a pastor, I'm an expert on grief and mourning. And so she often asks me for advice on how to handle things. When a friend of hers had a loss, she frantically approached me in the kitchen and said, okay, her father passed away. I'm, I'm gonna send her flowers and one of my lasagnas. And I'm going to send another lasagna in a month. Does, don't you think that sounds right? In about a month, she gets a second lasagna. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, Chloe, sure. The second lasagna, sure. <laughs> but I feel like this type of struggle, I feel like we can relate. We can all relate to this. That's kind of where our expertise on grief ends. We plan when to send the lasagna, when to set up the meal train, but we kind of feel uncomfortable about what to say or how to act when someone is facing loss. Do we bring up our memories of the person or the pet or the relationship? What could the good news mean for someone who has just received the worst news? Well, maybe the second lasagna will fix all of that. <laughs> as much as it may blow our minds, dear beloved family of God, God is comfortable in times of our grief. God knows the sorrows of our hearts God knows the pain of being alive because remember, he, he was alive in Jesus. And so he draws near to the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. And God draws near to us in our grief even when we are past that three-month, six-month, one-year expiration date because you see there is no expiring of God's compassion and love. It never, ever, ever ends. God sees our ashes. 
our grief, our mourning, our sin, our limitations, our self-loathing, our shame. God sees that and still provides a garland, a blessing, something new, beauty for ashes. God provides for those who mourn. That's what the scripture says. And sometimes scripture is really complicated, but sometimes it's just about believing that the good news that it says is really true. God provides for those who mourn. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he mentions this in his Beatitudes. He, he talks about all these different people who are blessed. And what are, what are one group that he says are blessed? This is your chance to be your participant. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. I've always kind of heard that phrase, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Like I've always heard it in this beautiful kind of somber tone, um, kind of just boring, like blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It, it looks nice on like, you know, an embroidered pillow or something, like it, it kind of loses its power. But really what it's saying is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I, I hear the scripture differently now. I hear it with an emphasis on they will be comforted. This is good news. We don't understand how life works and we can't make sense of the pain and sorrow of the world, but we can know the good news that those who mourn will be comforted. They will be. And they don't have to fit in a certain window of time to earn the comfort of God. This, this garland for ashes, this beauty for ashes, it's all grace. It's all a gift of grace. We don't have to pretend to be over our grief for God. God has no expectations for when we will get over it. And what if we started to treat each other in that way, with less expectations for each other's grief? Um, Robin, I'm struck by something you said in, in one of our conversations where you said that you knew that you could come here and, and, and if someone asked you how you're doing, you could give the honest answer. That's holy. That's sacred. That's a beloved community who knows that there's no timeline for getting over something. That's gospeling. That's good news. Believe it or not, it can be good news to say that you're having a bad day <laughs> and to have space held for you in that moment by your community. But what about the grief? What if you haven't lost a pet or a partner or a relationship? 
This survey also found that some people felt like their specific grief didn't fit in the culturally accepted situations that should be grieved. Uh, Dr. Hillary McBride, a psychologist and, and um, writer, she recently had a post and she said, I honor the things that you were grieving that you thought would end. Some of us grieve situations or circumstances that are not yet over, that we wish would be over. And that's a different kind of grief. It's a longing, it's an in-between sort of grief. But regardless of the type of grief you have, if you are human, if you have love, if you have loss, you know what it's like to grieve. Whether or not there is a section for that grief in the grocery store card aisle, right? Sympathy, the sympathy section. Maybe your grief will fit in that section, but maybe there's not a card that perfectly describes the loss that you feel in your very bones. The good news, friends, is that our ashes are not dismissed or shoved aside. The phrase says that God gives, uh, gives a garland instead of ashes, but what I don't think this means is that God wants us to sweep away our ashes so that we can put on a perfect garland of joy. We don't have to hide those parts of us that are still in process, are still mourning, are still figuring some things out. I think the garland is more a circle of grace. It's a blessing that wraps around us when we aren't sure what will hold us anymore. When we feel too disjointed, too fragmented by our pain. And I think a garland is the grace of God that, that wraps us up and holds us. This part of Isaiah was likely written by a prophet who knew the post-exilic context. And post-exilic means post-exile, and that means that there were just a few survivors returning to Jerusalem and seeing all of this destruction and rubble, all these ashes. And they were wondering how anything would be rebuilt. We see this rubble in our world today. War and the evil of mass destruction seem to be so committed to making ashes that we may wonder if there are enough garlands in the world to make things right. But remember this, when you feel overwhelmed by grief, when you see the world around you and only see ashes, know this, that a baby was wrapped in swaddling clothes, delivered to us as Emmanuel, God with us. We may have ashes, we may have despair, but one thing we are not is alone. We are not alone because Emmanuel is with us. 
And then Jesus was wrapped up again in swaddling clothes, but it was another time later on in his life, after his life was taken, when he lie there in a tomb, his body without a heartbeat, ashes, ashes, ashes. But then he rose up out of that grave. He rose up. And God made beauty for ashes. God turned graves into gardens. Because that's what God does. The grief of the world may overwhelm your heart at times, and you may feel pressure to get over it all before that six months hits. But grief is also love. It's also a sign that you have loved something or been loved by someone. And so your grief is holy and it has no expiration date. There's a movie I, I recommend it actually. It's called Good Grief on Netflix. And um, Dan Levy, he wrote and directed this movie. He explores these themes of grief in the movie. He loses his husband unexpectedly. And he gives up painting in his grief. He decides that he does not want to paint anymore. But the last scene of the movie, he takes up painting again. And he paints all these beautiful images of his late husband. A garland where ashes once were. Art. Beauty coming from the dust. Because really, God is an artist, and God makes art from ashes. God makes beautiful things again and again out of us. And in one of the scenes from the movie, his financial advisor tells him, she says, you know, to avoid sadness is also to avoid love. So we can't avoid our ashes. They are where God meets us. Jan Richardson um, has, a, has a poem about a circle of grace, and this is what she says. Within the struggle, joy, pain, and delight that attend our life, there is an invisible circle of grace that enfolds and encompasses us in every moment. Blessings help us to perceive this circle of grace, to find our belonging within it, and to receive the strength the circle holds, holds for us. This last uh, part of my message here, I want to tell you about an organization uh, that makes these circles of grace, these garlands, they're called Lay of Aloha for World Peace, and they're a Hawaiian nonprofit organization that weaves and offers mile-long tea leaf lei in an effort to share solidarity during times of tragedy. You probably know lei as the garland in Hawaiian culture, uh, but these are mile-long leis. And they were founded in 2015 after Paris uh, suffered a, a bombing. They decided to, a, a couple decided to weave this mile-long lay and deliver it to Paris at the site of the attack. And since then, the organization has 
delivered these lays to communities affected by tragedy, including Orlando after the Pulse shooting, all these different uh, communities. And after the fires in Maui, this, this tradition gained a new meaning. And the organization decided to uh, weave two mile-long lays um, for the families of the victims lost in the Maui fires. Here's what their organization's mission statement says. We are one, weaving together tea leaves from Kaui to uh, Hawaii Island, weaving the love and aloha to wrap around the people of the world. The lay of aloha brings us together to support, to heal, to connect, and lift up our collective spirits. When we lift one, we lift us all. The lay of aloha is about connection. We sit side by side, weaving lay, weaving conversation, weaving friendship, weaving prayers, weaving leaves of every color, red, yellow, pink, light, green, and dark green, weaving people, gay, straight, Hawaiian, Asian, Hispanic, Caucasian, people of all colors and faiths, young and young at heart, once woven and joined together, it is impossible to tell us apart. We are one. What a beautiful example of a garland where there once were ashes. How might you weave your grief alongside someone else? bringing resurrection, bringing hope, bringing restoration, bringing good news when all you might see is destruction. God weaves us together in a garland of hope to bless this world. Because as the scripture says, and I'm going to have y'all repeat it with me, Uh, I'm going to say the first part, and then I want you to, f- to follow up with the last part. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. This is good news. <laughs>